0: Hey guys, welcome to this episode of Astrophysicast, myself Aman, and with me is Shweta and this is the 8th episode of the series where we have been discussing about stars and its characteristics. So Shweta, what will we be discussing today?
1: Hi Aman, hi guys. Uh, today's episode will be all about Cosmic Dust, which is also known as Stardust and Galaxy Formation. So let's dive into it. So first we look at something what is known as Cosmic Dust. And we are all familiar with Carl Sagan's famous quote, which all of us use on our Instagram bios, cool speeches and whatnot. And that is, we are all made of star stuff. But do we know what he's talking about? You will find out very soon.
0: So let me just explain what cosmic dust is, right? So cosmic dust is also called extraterrestrial dust or space dust. It is dust which exists in outer space or, you know, has fallen on Earth. So cosmic dust can be distinguished by its size as well as its astronomical location. And, you know, there are intergalactic dust, interstellar dust, interplanetary dust, you know, such as in the zodiacal clouds and circumplanetary dust such as in planetary rings.
1: Can you think of any form of cosmic dust in our own solar system? Well, I'll let you think about that. But before that, in the early days, stardust or dust of any kind for that matter annoyed observational astronomers to a great extent because they obstructed the view of um, the target object.
0: Yeah, that is true. But, you know, surprisingly, analyzing cosmic dust can reveal a multitude of information about the formation of the solar system. And, you know, understanding them is of immense importance in many fields of astronomy. So, for example, say cosmic dust can drive the mass loss when a star is nearing the end of its life. You know, which plays a uh, a part in the early stages of star formation, and you know, then later form planets. So, Shweta, is there a way to detect this cosmic dust?
1: Yeah, for sure. Thanks for asking. So, cosmic dust can basically be detected either by indirect or direct methods, and indirect methods include the use of radiative properties of cosmic dust particles. Whereas direct detection makes use of a variety of methods from collection of locations on the Earth. In interplanetary space, dust detectors on planetary spacecrafts have been built and flown, and some are basically also presently flying, and more are also being built to fly.
0: Wow, and they measure parameters associated with the high velocity impact of dust particles on the instrument and then derive physical properties of the particles, which is usually mass and velocity, through laboratory calibration. And, you know, infrared light can penetrate cosmic dust clouds, which allows us to peer into regions of star formation and the centers of galaxies.
1: That's amazing. And since most of this radiation is, you know, blocked by our own planet's atmosphere and cannot be observed from the ground, we need to make use of space telescopes. And one such was NASA's Spitzer Space Telescope. So findings from this space telescope has, you know, basically strengthened the studies of cosmic dust. So Aman, um, so now that we've seen what is cosmic dust, uh, can you let us know what is stardust and how is it different from cosmic dust? Are they the same?
0: Yeah. Yeah, that is a really good question and let me tell you. So a smaller fraction of this dust in space is known as stardust. Okay. And it consists of large refractory minerals that condensed as matter left by stars. So the stardust grains are contained within meteorites, from which they are extracted in terrestrial laboratories.
1: Each stardust grain existed before the Earth was formed. Think about it for a second. Amazing, isn't it? And stardust itself is but. A modest fraction of the condensed cosmic dust forming less than 0.1% of the mass of total interstellar solids. How amazing! And the high interest in Stardust basically derives from new information that it has brought to the sciences of stellar evolution and nucleosynthesis. So I think now, Aman, it's important to talk about properties of this cosmic dust.
0: Yeah, sure. So, you know, cosmic dust is made of dust grains, as we talked about, and accumulate to form dust particles. And the composition, size, and other properties depend on where the dust is found. So, for example, grains in dense clouds have acquired a mantle of ice and on average are larger than uh, dust particles in the diffuse interstellar medium.
1: Yes, we also have what is known as cometary dust and asteroidal dust, each of which basically differs in terms of its bulk composition from each other.
0: Yeah. So yeah. yeah. How how are these dust grains formed actually?
1: Yeah, good question. So red giants have they're basically stars and they have evolved or either altered off main sequence and have entered the giant phase of their evolution. So they are the major source of refractory dust grain cores in galaxies. And these cores are also known as star dust.
0: Wow. And, you know, stars condenses within the stars via different condensation chemistry than that of the bulk of cosmic dust, which later accretes cold onto pre-existing dust in dark molecular clouds of galaxy. So, these molecular clouds are very cold, typically less than 50 Kelvin, so that ices of many kinds may accumulate onto grains. And finally, during the formation of the solar system, mainly interstellar dust grains were further modified by coalescence and chemical reactions taking place in the planetary accretion disk. So astronomers know that the dust is formed in the envelopes of late evolved stars from specific observational signatures.
1: Yeah, very cool. And although humans share most elements with stars, uh, proportions of those elements differ between us and stars. For example, humans are about 65% oxygen by mass, whereas oxygen makes up less than 1% of all elements measured in space, such as in the spectrum of stars. So, in conclusion, yes, we are indeed made of star stuff.
0: Yes, indeed, we are made of star stuff. So, now that we're done with stardust, we'll go into another interesting topic, which is galaxy formation, okay? So, as you know, galaxies are vast groupings of billions of stars and other material gravitationally bound together, and they tend to be found in clusters of dozens to a few hundred members. And, you know, different types of galaxies include spiral galaxies, which such as our own Milky Way, which is rich in dust and gas, with all, with still stars still forming in their arms. And electrical gases which are devoid of gas, there are slendicular galaxies and irregular galaxies such as our neighbors, the Magellanic clouds, and the Sagittarius dwarf galaxy.
1: Yes, and astronomers do not yet have a complete understanding of how these galaxies formed. We know that they formed Early in the history of the universe and recent deep observations by telescopes such as the Hubble Space Telescope at optical wavelengths and the ATCA at radio wavelengths show evidence of galactic evolution over time.
0: Yeah, and you know this is a lively and active area of debate among astrophysicists. One of the many problems they face in trying to construct a useful model is the need to match observations of galaxies in the current or nearby universe with those and those in the early universe with theoretical simulations.
1: Oh yeah, that takes a lot of time, doesn't it? Yeah. And there are two leading theories which explain how the first galaxies formed. But the truth may involve a bit of both ideas, you know. One says that galaxies were born when vast clouds of gas and dust collapse under their own gravitational pull, allowing stars to form.
0: Yeah, and the other, which has gained strength in recent years, says the young universe contained many small lumps of matter. Which clump together to form galaxies. So, Hubble Space Telescopes has photographed many such clumps, which you know may be the precursors
1: to modern galaxies. Interesting. And according to this theory, most of the early large galaxies were also spirals, but over time, many spirals merged to form ellipticals.
0: Yeah, and recent work on the role of dark matter in the early universe has led to the hierarchical or the bottom up model gaining wide acceptances.
1: Bottom up? What do you mean by the bottom-up model, Amal?
0: Yeah, that's a good question. So basically the bottom-up model, the universe contains cold dark matter or CDM. And the cold in this case refers to the average speed of the dark matter particles, which they are relatively slow compared to the speed of light. Okay, And as yet the CDM results in very slight differences in the density of the primordial universe. So these irregularities can be seen as anisotropies in the cosmic microwave background radiation, the CMBR and as measured by the WMAP satellite and other instruments. So, you know, as the universe expands, these light irregularities and the resulting gravitational instabilities cause gas clouds to collapse, which form extremely high mass stars. And these are thought to be the first the structures to form after the decoupling era. So, you know, gravity plays the dominant role in galaxy formation.
1: Very true, that's very important. And um, these massive stars in turn form clusters of stars and. Gas, some you know, uh, 10 plus six times the mass of our sun. In these protogalactic structures, then interact with each other and also merge into larger structures, which are now known as galaxies. Present-day galaxies typically have masses of about 10 per 11 solar masses, so they must have undergone numerous merges to you know reach attain this mass. Interactions and merges between early galaxies also caused higher rates of star formation than we now observe in most nearby galaxies.
0: Wow, that's a lot of solar masses. So, where galaxy interactions are common, successive mergers are thought to mop up gas, not bound in stars and smoother shape. And large elliptical galaxies are the result. And, you know, examples of these in the nearby universe show little or no free gas and low rates or no star formation at all.
1: And if a galaxy evolves in relative isolation with, say, few interactions, then a spiral galaxy is likely to be the result, just like our own Milky Way. These still have gas in their spiral arms, and we can observe star formation still taking place in the arms of spirals.
0: Yeah, that's true. The galaxy formation process has not stopped. Our universe continues to evolve, right? So, so small galaxies are frequently gobbled up by the larger ones and the Milky Way may contain the remains of several smaller galaxies that it has swallowed during its long lifetime.
1: <laughs> that's so sad. And the Milky Way is also digesting at least two small galaxies even now, and may also pull in others over the next few billion years.
0: Wow, that's cool. And another event that happens fairly often is galaxy mergers. Okay? A large portion of the bright galaxies that we see today may have formed from the mergers of two or more smaller galaxies.
1: Merges are common because, um, you know, the universe is crowded, obviously, on the galactic distance scale. So the disk of the Milky Way, for example, it spans about 100,000 light years. Um, The nearest major galaxy, that is the Great Spiral in the Andromeda, which is a little bigger than the Milky Way, is about 2.5 million light years away. That means the distance between these two galaxies is only about 25 times greater than the sizes of the galaxies themselves. And that doesn't leave a lot of elbow room for galaxies, right?
0: (laughs) Yeah, that's true. And you know, galaxies are very massive too. So their gravity is strong. And when you crowd them together, the attraction can be so strong that the two galaxies latch onto each other and don't let go. And eventually they merge forming a single giant city of stars. (laughs)
1: Sounds like a long-distance relationship. Yeah. And the largest galaxies are basically giant ellipticals. They look like eggs or footballs. They can be 10 times, you know, the Milky Way size and contain more than a trillion stars. Such galaxies probably formed when two or more spirals like the Milky Way merged to form a single galaxy.
0: Yeah, and one bit of evidence supporting the merger theory is a large number of ellipticals in dense clusters of galaxies where mergers must be common. So two giant ellipticals dominate the center of the densely packed coma cluster, for example. And the heart of the Virga cluster contains three giant ellipticals that each span almost one million light years.
1: Wow. And mergers can take anywhere from a few hundred million to a few billion years to complete. And they can trigger intense bursts of new star formation and even create gigantic black holes. How cool is that. So guys, that's it for today's episode. Thank you for listening and be sure to check out our Instagram page, Astrophysic Cast, where we'll be posting weekly updates about workshops, seminars and such. So See you guys until next week. um, This is Shweta.
0: And this is Amin, guys. Bye-bye.
1: Bye-bye.